Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film, the film review podcast from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and this episode is our first in partnership with Amazon Prime Video. We'll be discussing the film Dating Amber, which is available on Prime Video now. I'll be speaking to its star, Lola Pettigrew, and I'll also be talking to Carrie Lyle from Diva Magazine, who'll join me to review the film. Dating Amber is a coming-of-age comedy set in small-town Ireland in the mid-90s. It stars Lola Pettigrew as Amber and Fiona O'Shea as Eddie. The two are 17-year-old schoolmates who start dating, but it's only for show they're actually both gay and afraid to come out to their judgmental classmates. A friendship develops as they both start to explore their sexuality and figure out their life plans. Let's have a listen to a clip. Uh, Eddie shifted a girl today. Oh. Word is he didn't touch her tits, though. Jack! A guy to lovemaking. How come he didn't touch Tracy's boob? Jesus, Kev! Amber, what's for lunch? Carpet? Not today! Your mum's getting shampooed. So, Lola, welcome to Girls on Film. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled to have you here because I really enjoyed dating Amber. Congratulations on the film. Thank you so much. It's a lovely character. And um, what did you relate to in her character? Um, well, when I first got the script, I got it like anybody else, like through my agent. And I sat on my sofa and it was, you know, one of those times where I absolutely laughed out loud in the sofa I cried out loud on the sofa and I think sometimes you get scripts across your desk and you're like, oh, I really want to do this. And other times you get scripts and you're like, oh, I really need to do this. And I suppose I was just like interested in, you know, it was this alternative arc on a rom-com. It was about platonic relationships and it was about queer teenagers. It was a, a coming of age story about queer teenagers that was framed with a lot of hope and comedy, which I don't think that I'd seen before. It's true, it is very hopeful and very positive. It's not some kind of desperate story about people handling the story, and I really like that about it. Um, there's a lot of light at the end of the tunnel, despite the teenage angst. Are there any particular scenes in the film? I've got quite a few, but are there any ones that you found particularly funny, either while you were filming or when you revisited them and watched it back? Uh, well, we always talk about, we love this scene at the wall. Um, we call it the gay wall. <laughs> Um, when they finally decide to be in a relationship with each other. And I think that might be our favourite because we workshopped that loads in rehearsals and we didn't think it was going to be a particularly funny scene. But on the day, Dave allowed me and Fionn to do a lot of improvising. And by this point, we were already very close friends. So we were able to bring a lot of our friendship to it. And so Dave was kind of like, you know, go wild, you know, come back to the script, but just kind of have a bit of fun with it. Can you explain that to people who haven't seen the film? Um... Fionn's character, Eddie, comes up to Amber in the schoolyard and asks her, does she want to shift? Which is some Irish slang for <laughs> um, kiss. And she says, okay. And they go behind the wall and they decide to get into the fake relationship. And Eddie says, um, you know, just because we are, and he can't say the word gay. And Amber 
then goes on to say, I'm gay, you're gay, we're gay, two big gays at a big gay wall, um, and says the word over and over and over, much to Addie's dislike. <laughs> Just because we are, you know, uh... You can say it. Gay. I'm because, gay. No. You're gay. We're gay. Okay, we're just because we are. Just because we are. Big gay wall. Whatever it is, stop saying it. Stop gay. saying it. Just stop. And there's nothing gay about the wall. But it doesn't matter because it just it doesn't matter what we are. But we don't have to be. Because she's a lot further forward in her journey, really, isn't she, Amber? And and she's kind of admitted to herself, at least, she's gay, and Eddie hasn't. That sounds very true to life to me. Did that speak to you? That kind of difference in the, the way that she, perhaps as a female, was just a little bit ahead. Yeah. at that age <laughs> yeah i think for amber she um she knows that she's gay she's comfortable with her sexuality it's not really a question of if she's coming out it's more when i mean she can see herself out just not in her small town in kildare for her the dream is to go to london where she thinks that everything's a lot more liberal and she you know can fit in in the punk scene and sees herself there and i think the problem is is that Addie sort of tied down by his own internalized homophobia by this veil of masculinity that he has to wear the sort of artifice of it is strangling him and i don't think that amber has that that's very well put now it's interesting that you say she wants to go to london and there's a sense that both characters feel they have to leave ireland to have a hope of finding happiness now obviously this is 25 years ago the film set in 1995 do you think things are very different now in terms of gay rights in Ireland? It's funny because we talk about it quite a lot and it's set in 1995 and it's definitely rooted there. I mean, it was it was two years after, after homosexuality was decriminalised and it's set to the backdrop of the divorce re referendum. So it felt very much like Ireland was on sort of this like social shift. But I really think that you could set this story anywhere in the world in the current day. I think there's a bit of a, a misconception that just because things are easier, that they're easy. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, by no means true. And just because we have things written into law doesn't mean that socially we've sort of caught up. I mean, definitely things like casual homophobia is something that's still so prevalent in schools and workplaces. Are you still living in Ireland at the moment? Uh, well, we were in London for a bit and then sort of um, just as everything started kicking off, we came, came back to Ireland to isolate and be closer to our families. So you say we, I believe it's actually your co-star and yourself who are quarantining together, is that right? Yeah, yeah, our friends say that we live our life like like cat dog, we're like inseparable. <laughs> that is so cute, so you met on the film, you became firm friends and then you liked each other so much you're quarantining together. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, a lot of people will think this is a publicity stunt, but we <laughs> genuinely didn't even know the film was coming out. So, I mean, we kind of struck lucky that we were together. <laughs> So what's a typical day for you two um, in lockdown? Does it reflect the kind of relationship in a way that you have on screen? I honestly think that a lot of people wouldn't be surprised to know that the chemistry on screen is very, very similar to the chemistry off screen. And I mean, that was actually really down to David. Like, he gave us a lot of rehearsal time pre-filming. We met up every couple of weeks for a few months. And that like allowed me and Fionn to sort of create a friendship outside of the rehearsal room as well. And, you know, the film really hinges on you believing that these two characters are platonic soulmates and they love each other. And, and that's sort of what I ended up finding in Fionn. That's so lovely. <laughs> and now, what was um, the most challenging scene to film? We've talked about funny one, but was there any particularly tricky ones for you? I mean, a lot of it was um, 
quite difficult, especially, I mean, I would, me and Fionn were very close friends at this point and we adored the character so much and we felt like an immense amount of responsibility towards David Free and our writer and director and also towards the, the audience that we knew that it would be going out to and the people who would want and need to see it. So, you know, there are a lot of scenes that, um, like the very end scene with Addie and Amber and the scene in the gay club when Addie goes outside and sort of breaks down emotionally. Those were really, really tough. I mean, they carry like a lot of emotion and a lot of things that are close to home, both for us and for Dave and for our audience. And so there was an immense amount of responsibility, but it was, you know, it was quite easy because we were friends and we had this lovely relationship with Dave and everything felt safe. And um, that was absolutely magical to have. So yeah, I mean, there was an immense amount of pressure and responsibility, but we all knew that we were doing it because we loved it and we believed so much in the end product. Thank you for sharing that. And you said that it was quite close to home. I hope you don't think I'm prying if I ask what your journey was like when you were growing up and coming to terms with sexuality. Well, I was, I kind of knew from a young age that I, that I wasn't straight. And sort of in my early teenage years, I found the label bisexual and that seemed to be the closest to what I could describe. And the only word that was really available at the time. And so I kind of stuck with that, but there was something that never quite fit about that term for me that didn't feel completely comfortable. But I suppose I just kind of went with it. And then it was sort of in my twenties that I started really thinking about it. And then kind of a lot during making the film where I realized that I'd given so much time and space, rightfully so, to think about Amber and her journey that I realized that I maybe hadn't given myself as much. And that's when I found the term queer. And as soon as I started using that and I really thought about things and detangled a lot of stuff, it felt really transformative. It felt like a massive weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I think that I completely transformed as a person. I think that Fionn would say the same thing um, in the way that, you know, I changed. And I think that I'm the happiest that I've been as a result. That's amazing. So your fantastic performance in this film has also helped you grow. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's been invaluable. I, I actually can't even put it into words. That's really moving. I've, I've had a few friends actually um, outside of the community who've asked me, can you define what queer is? Uh, what would you say to people who ask that question? For me, I, I love the term queer because I feel like it's a label that doesn't define you, that you get to define the label. And for me, there are so many different facets to it. It's, it's something that isn't just about who I'm attracted to. It's about different facets of my personality, how I like to present in the world, what I'm interested in and who I'm interested in. And I suppose for me, it's just, you know, seeing things is not completely binary and, and just an openness. That's beautifully put, thank you. And now, just in general, in terms of queer representation in mainstream media, where do you feel we're at with that and what needs to change? This is a huge topic, obviously, but perhaps particularly in film, uh, there are things that you've found positive, but obviously room for improvement. I mean, definitely. I mean, I've spoken about this an awful lot. For us, it was really important as well that when we were, um, first of all, that, that it was a queer film that was framed with hope and comedy because a lot of times queer films can be ghettoized into their own genre. And then on top of that, you know, a lot of the stories are quite tragic and that's completely important to tell those stories. But if that's the only way that queer people are seeing themselves rep like represented, I mean, it's a pretty dooming view. And it can add to the panic of coming out because if all of all that you're seeing is, you know, 
people being beat on, being bullied, dying. Do you know, it doesn't really give you much hope, you know, when you eventually come out. So we just thought that they, well, we deserved a coming of age story like everybody else. And then also that these these teenagers weren't hypersexualized, that that wasn't the only important thing about their sexuality was sex, you know? These are just teenagers going about teenage life trying to figure out what's going on. Because you mentioned um, the sex scenes, and I think it's really interesting in this film that, that there's a very honest um, lesbian sex scene. Do you think it's important to see this represented on screen? Because so often, rather than it being titillating or, or you know, objectified from uh, male POV. Yeah, I think a lot of times, especially um, female relationships, you know, women who like women and women who are with women, it can be fetishized and it can be seen through the male gaze um and i don't know if I, I don't think a lot of the times that's on purpose but it definitely does happen i mean when i watched portrait of a lady on fire i remember sitting on my sofa just gasping and crying and feeling like it was just such a real raw sense of a female queer relationship that was told through the female gaze and i think we're shifting more towards that now and taking more care of it and that's definitely something that we wanted to do i mean Amber sits in bed nervously and sort of was like, is that okay? And that's true to sort of everybody's first sexual encounter. Yeah. So it was really important that we just, you know, we treated them like kids who were trying to figure things out. A guide to lovemaking. vagina slippery to accept the man's love. Not Amber's. <laughs> and I like the way that the film shows their terrible sex education and you know how much they have to try to overcome. Now our intern Heather um, watched the film and really loved it and she she wanted to know was school sex education really that bad? Well I mean we we all sort of went to to catholic schools and there is an actual sex ed video that that sex ed video was based on that is very very similar i didn't have wow. anything quite as shocking as that but you know our sex education in school wasn't great at all sort of our our religious education in terms of like sex and female bodies i mean i remember in school we were shown this really horrifying video about abortions and I think it was called something like the silent scream and it, the letters came up in these like bright red letters and it sort of looked like blood dripping we were shown that at I think we were like 15 and it like the idea that that's you know what we were showing kids and the way we talk to kids about sex and their bodies was was insane I mean I think in in all sex education across the board we're taught that you know men orgasm and then that sex we don't even talk about the female orgasm we don't acknowledge that it's a thing so it's i don't think that that that, that sex education video is really far from the truth in catholic schools but i mean i think sex education across the board is is pretty poor yeah well i went i went to a catholic school in devon in the 80s and it didn't have anything quite that bad but it wasn't far off yeah so i was interested to know your experiences because you were at school much more recently than that but still you found that um, talking of, of your young age, um, you, you've started acting quite young. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, I always kind of wanted to do it. I did sort of like arm um, drum classes when I was younger. 
And then as I was like older in my teenage years, sort of towards the end of, of secondary school, I had a part-time job and sort of that fell into the background. And I really wanted to apply for drama school, but I was just, I think I was afraid of the rejection. <laughs> and I just didn't think that it was, you know, something that was really tangible. And then one of my really close friends, Anthony Boyle, went off to drama school the year before me. And the next year he rang me and was like, are you ready for your audition? And I panicked and applied to universities. And I was like, look, I, I haven't applied. And he was like, what are you doing? You're making such a massive mistake. And I got really upset, but he went and spoke to the head of acting in the Royal Welsh and they let me audition and I got in and that was sort of it and I never looked back. Fantastic. And of course you were in Bump Along the Way, which is a lovely, charming film. Yeah. And, and certainly a girls on film kind of film. <laughs> um, t tell us a bit about that experience of filming that. That was just such a lovely project. Um, that came about through the NI New Talent Focus Scheme with NI Screen. And it was a first time writer. Tess had written this story based in Derry about a single mother getting pregnant. And I came on board that we did a reading of it in London and we weren't really sure if it was even going to get made. And then a few months later, Louise Gallagher, our producer, rang me and offered me the part of Allegra. And um, we made it on a shoestring budget in Derry in 21 days. And we weren't really sure what was going to happen with it. And the next minute, Element Pictures had picked it up and then it did Galway and then it did TIFF. And... I think we were all pretty gobsmacked that this little passion project born in a tiny little house in Derry had sort of exploded the way it did. Well, congrats, it's lots of fun. You're going to have a wee baby? At my age? What if there's something wrong with it? Oh, jeez, Pam, don't talk like that. There are definite advantages to having a baby at your age. One has more sense, more experience, and you are financially better off. You told me that you couldn't have any wains. I don't know him, darling. Stop. Normal People, have you been watching a lot of that? Because obviously your flatmate and co-star Fionn yeah. stars in Normal People. Yeah, yeah. Well, Fionn's in it and we're very close pals with um, a lot of the other cast, like Daisy and, and Paul in India and, and Des and stuff. And we were all sort of filming um, Dayton Amber and normal people at the same time in Dublin. So we all became quite close and sort of hung out in our off days and we're all still really good friends. So it's been really lush for me to sort of sit back just before all of this and watch all of those exciting things happen for my, my pals. It's been really lovely. Yeah, it feels like a, a good time for Irish indie film. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? I mean, obviously post lockdown. Yeah, um, we're sort of filming stuff. I'm hoping to be back on set in August with sort of all of the new measures in. I'm really looking forward to getting back to work. And then in October, I have a drama with BBC One coming out called Bloodlands with Jimmy Nesbitt and Charlene McKenna and Lisa Dwan. And then at the start of next year, I have a feature called Hear the Young Men coming out, which was directed by Owen Mackin. And then I suppose um, maybe mid next year, I think um, the feature film Shadows will be out as well. You're nicely busy then. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very happy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're going to be seeing more of you on the big and small screen. Um, in terms of picking roles, do you focus particularly on roles that you think are realistic in terms of portraits of women? Or is it to do with also the weight, their weight in the screenplay? 
I don't think that that's something that I that I ever think about is sort of like you know how big or small the character is. Um, I think it's just always what comes across the desk and is interesting. I think that you always should trust your gut feeling, and as well, you know, you have a team of people behind you who you can talk with and have have an open dialogue with, and it's sort of just whatever sparks an interest. And I think that that's always going to be you know multi dimensional characters that are. That are a bit different to anything that I've seen before. Well, Dating Amber is definitely a great example of that. Well, congrats again. Um, I hope all our listeners watch it. I think it's really going to be up their street. Um, any last uh, messages for the Girls on Film listeners? Uh, go and watch the film, please, and, and tweet about it and have a laugh. Um, it's 92 minutes of queer joy and, and love and friendship. And I think that we could all use a bit of that at the minute. Nicely said. Thank you very much, Lola, for joining Girls on Film. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. To review Dating Amber with me, I'd like to welcome Carrie Lyle, the editor-in-chief of Diva magazine. Carrie's career highlights so far include interviewing Billie Jean King and meeting lesbian royalty Ellen DeGeneres. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Anna. What a CV. Um, I don't know who to ask about first, Billie Jean King or Ellen DeGeneres. (laughs) Who would you like to tell me about first? Oh, they were both wonderful. Um, For each, it was one of those sort of pinch me moments where you can't really believe your luck, I suppose, and these larger than life figures. But they were both absolutely wonderful. Billie Jean was just um, really, really inspiring to talk to and so gracious and humble. Um, Yeah, I couldn't quite believe it. And um, tell us more about Diva magazine. Now, I obviously remember this magazine as the top lesbian magazine. Tell us more. Has it evolved over the years? Yeah, so so Diva's been on the newsstand since 1994, and it's grown to become the world's leading magazine for LGBTQI women and non-binary folk. And we, as well as the magazine, we have a website, we have a community page on Facebook that we set up um, at the start of lockdown to give readers some additional support. We do events when we can outside of lockdown. And yeah, we really pride ourselves on providing not just a magazine, not just sort of fluffy entertainment for people, but a sense of home and, and community as well. Bravo. That sounds good. Yes, I remember events. We used to do those as well. They were fun, weren't they? Yes. (laughs) Not long now, hopefully. Well, you've joined me to talk about Dating Amber, which was written and directed by David Frayne, who actually made a film called The Cured with Ellen Page, I remember today. Um, This is an interesting uh uh, departure from that, but it's also again set in Ireland. The concept is a gay boy and girl dating each other for show. Now, I actually know people who did this back in the day. Uh, Did that concept feel realistic to you, Carrie? It did, yeah. When I sort of read the synopsis, I thought, oh, how is this going to go? And where is it going to go? And I was a little bit nervous about it and about how realistic it might feel. And, you know, I suppose at times it was a bit of a reach, but the I think the performances really made it feel really lovely and really relatable, even though it wasn't necessarily an experience that I had. So let's talk a bit more about the performances then. We were speaking to Lola Pettigrew on this podcast and I thought she was tremendous. She had lots of spirit and just a matter of quirk without being that annoying quirky girl. You know, she felt like a real mm-hmm. quirky girl. What did you think of her performance? Absolutely. It felt really powerful, but without hitting you in the face with it. And I think she brought a real authenticity to the part of Amber as well. Um, because she, I suppose she's queer in real life, maybe that helps. But it, it really felt... Yeah, like you say, a lot of spirit, a lot of heart in her. I felt like I fell in love with her right away. And she has been telling us that she's actually really good friends in real life now with her co-star Fiona. And you, you do 
feel that watching. I think that that chemistry and that closeness between them is so adorable. And it's like a nice mm. celebration of platonic friendships as much as it is about sexuality, don't you think? Absolutely. This sort of platonic love story that we see unfolding is really sweet. And in, in a strange way, even though that there is this fake relationship, I found myself kind of rooting for them a little bit, not to get together, but just that love that they had between each other, that real sense of friendship and camaraderie and uh, how they sort of supported each other through their different but similar journeys was really lovely. That's it, it's sort of about two misfits coming together in a way, isn't it? And as you say, very different journeys and she's quite further ahead in terms of accepting her sexuality and he's still in denial. And I thought there were some real comic moments around his pretense that he's straight, like going behind the equivalent of the bike shed with the girls Mm. and, and sort of trying to sort of make out with them. That was funny, but it was also painful I thought and, and the film it achieves that balance quite frequently I think. Oh absolutely yeah the sort of examination of his toxic masculinity and that which he's surrounded with but it's done with such a lightness um, that it doesn't feel uh, heavy you know it's heartbreaking but it's not tragic and um, it's really lovely the way that Amber helps him overcome that I suppose but without that without just being a vehicle for his journey which I suppose at a time I was worried it might become um, it felt like their stories were given equal weight. Yeah and that is quite rare to see I think in a coming of age movie because normally it focuses on just the one yes, and, and yeah. to see it, it's very even handed actually hats off the director for that I thought can I come back to what you said about toxic masculinity because I'm interested to know how you think that was demonstrated in terms of you know, he's a young gay boy, but you're right, he, he did have actually a quite a homophobic pretense on, didn't he, really? Yeah, there's the, the scene in the in the club when they go to Dublin and, you know, he sees his friend or, you know, this, this fellow cadet and he really lashes out quite violently towards him and towards this man that he's, that he's met in the club as well. You know that that isn't him. It's sort of this world that he's grown up in with a very macho father and he wants to be in the arm and he wants to you know push away this side of himself that he doesn't like but you know as I said I think it is it's done in quite a gentle way it doesn't feel too um too labored that sort of point and I think the film's really lovely in the way it examines the kind of subtleties that that homophobia can present too you know when the army um you know the army leader I suppose is shouting things at them like your pansies it's that sort of way that effeminacy is a bad thing is something that that men shouldn't want to be and yet that's what makes Eddie such a lovely character when he accepts and allows himself to be himself he's such a lovely character well, so you mentioned the father being in, in the military there and then you have Sharon Horgan as the more sympathetic mother mm. who's trying, who, she's not sure if her son's gay or not, but she's trying to understand and be sensitive. How did you feel about the role of the parents in the films? I think it's probably quite important to have that balance, isn't it? And to have those two contrasts in a way. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, I thought the film was clever in that it didn't, it didn't stray down an obvious route with the parents. You know, when Amber comes out to her mum, for example, she doesn't react in in the way that you might expect um, or that we've seen in many other sort of similar films before. Um, and similarly with Eddie's parents, even though his dad is this macho man and, you know, you might expect his family to be more traditional, there is still a gentleness too when his dad says to him, you know, you don't need to go in, into the army, you don't need to do this, it's okay. And... His mum, that sort of moment of realisation she has, 
there's a warmth there that she doesn't seem to be um, scared about the possibility that her son could be gay. And she says to him, you know, you know that you can tell me anything, I'll love you no matter what. Yeah, it doesn't go for the sort of obvious, you know, all parents in rural Ireland in the 90s are going to be homophobic. Yeah, yeah, I think it does it does take a positive sympathetic depiction to both sides of the argument while, while showing the kind of doubts that people are having. Um, did you relate to anything in this personally, may I ask? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose that quite a hammed up version. Um, but I, you know, I came out in school. So a lot of the sort of taunts that are thrown at Amber or when, you know, when other girls are saying things like, yeah, she tried it on with me, that sort of struck a chord, certainly. And it did make me sort of think back to how it was when I was at school and sort of discovering yourself and finding your tribe, um, you know, when Amber and Eddie sort of find each other and are able to navigate through this, you know, what can be a really cruel and difficult world together was, was really lovely. But the one thing that, that did strike me is when Amber and Sarah meet, that didn't really feel too realistic for me because in my in experience, club, yeah. yeah, in my experience, lesbians uh, tend to avoid, you know, making eye contact with each other, let alone speaking <laughs> to each other. So, uh, yeah, that made me laugh a little bit. Yeah, I do love that club scene, but I, I know what you mean. Um, it's sort of a heightened reality almost yes, in that yes. scene, maybe a bit of fantasy, but yeah, no, that, that's a fair point. Now, let's look at Amber as a lesbian character in general. How do you, how does she fit into the sort of coming-of-age queer films for you? Did it did it remind you of anything else that you'd recommend? Well, I think there's, there's a commonality between some characters I think we've seen lately in films like Booksmart, where... The characters have real agency, their sexuality isn't all that they are, and they're able to to own themselves and and to to be confident in themselves and there isn't that that sense of drowning in in who they are. I love that Amber is able to talk to her mum to tell her who she is, and the sense that she's going to go on and live a very happy life you know in, in film traditionally we are often seen that trope of the tragic, unhappy lesbian often killed off. Um, so it's really lovely to see filmmakers moving away from that and into this realm of uh, strong characters who know who they are. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and something that Lola mentioned as well is that it's not all, you know, tragedy in, in the gay world and that there are wonderful LGBTQ plus stories to be told. Mm, yeah, Booksmart mm. is, is a great one. I'm always urging the listeners to, to watch it, but it's on Prime Video now if you haven't caught up with it yet. And there's another one actually that I'd pick out, which this reminded me of. Perhaps thematically, although the style is very different, and it's But I'm a Cheerleader from 1999. Mm. Do you remember that one? Yes, wonderful film. It is. It's. I mean, do you know what? I watched it again today. I remember going to see it at a press screening when it first came out. I just started reviewing films, and I always remembered it very fondly, and I thought, gosh, I hope, you know, I agree with my younger self watching it back, but I really do. I work for a place called True Directions who help people like yourself learn to understand the homosexual tendencies. What tendencies? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Why don't you start by telling us the first time that you realized that you might be a lesbian? I'm not perverted. I get good grades. I go to church. I'm a cheerleader. And so it stars Natasha Leon, who's now much better known. She's a cheerleader sent to a Christian rehab camp after her family thinks she's gay. And it's got a slightly surreal, heightened humour and kitsch visual style. 
very funny lampooning of, of sort of conservative ideas of gay people. And also from a female director, Jamie Babbitt, who's got a new film coming up with Drew Barrymore and Lena Dunham. So that's something to look out for. Um, what did you like about What I'm a Cheerleader? Have you seen it recently? Not recently, no. I, I Similarly, like you, I'd love to watch it now and, and see how it stands the test of time. Because I think often with films with LGBTQ themes to them, they can become very dated very quickly. So I would love, I'd love to watch it again. And but I, I remember watching it when I was very young and coming to terms with my sexuality. And it was one of those films that that really gave me some comfort. And so it will always hold a special place in my heart because of that. I think you'll find it stood up as well. And that's actually got lots of people in it that you'd forgotten were in it. Like Julie Delpy mm-hmm. has a tiny role in it. But also maybe another moment you might dispute because she tries to pick up um, Natasha's character in a, in a gay club. So. <laughs> Um, but it's interesting you say that watching that gave you comfort when you were younger. Do you think Dating Amber mm. would be a really good film for young boys and girls watching it who are sort of wondering about their future and their sexuality? Yeah, I do think so. I mean, despite the fact that it's set in, in the mid-90s, 1995, I think it is really current. It's really now. It feels very fresh and... I think particularly in the context of the world that we're living in today, there's often an assumption that that coming out isn't a big deal anymore. But I actually would dispute that. And I think that in some ways it's becoming harder again. And so to have a film that demonstrates that, you know, there will be challenges, it can feel really difficult, but there's a hopefulness in the film that, that I hope will really speak to young people who are, you know, perhaps asking themselves similar questions that Eddie and Amber are asking themselves in the film. Why would you say it's harder now to come out? That's interesting. Well, I think we're living in a very tumultuous time politically. You know, in lots of countries, we've seen kind of moves to the to the right, rises in sort of extremist politics where governments are turning back the the tide in some ways, or there's a threat that that might happen. You know, particularly the climate towards trans people at the moment is really, really scary. And so I think that does push people further into the closet and legitimises views that are perhaps homophobic, biphobic, transphobic. You know, fosters a climate where people feel uncomfortable um, speaking their truth. And so uh, it is important, I think, to still see coming out stories and to find joy within those. Well said. And I think Dating Amber as well is something that would apply equally well to straight people because it's just a jolly good fun comedy exactly. with characters you can relate to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just that the, the, the teen experience is pretty universal in many ways. Um, well, Carrie, thank you so much for coming on Girls on Film. How can people find out more about you and your work? So you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Siege, S-E-E-J. I'm on Instagram as well. It's at Siege Lyle. Um, You can follow Diva. We're Diva Magazine on all platforms. And our website is divamag.co.uk to keep up with uh, all the latest. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Anna. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film. Thank you to Hedda Archbold of HLA Productions for producing, to Jane Long for producing, to our fabulous intern Heather Dempsey, and to Amazon Prime Video. Girls on Film has a Patreon page where you can pledge a small amount each month to support us. We'd be so grateful if you could go to patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast and you can find some fun extras on there as well. Follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and Instagram on girlsonfilm underscore podcast. 
Do subscribe and review us if you've enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to check out our special filmed shows on the BFI's YouTube channel. The latest one features Rosamund Pike, Maxine Peake, Amara Sante and Nicola Burley. Just search for the British Film Institute's YouTube channel and you will find us there. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Lola Pettigrew and Carrie Lyle in our latest Girls on Film Isolation Pod. Stay safe, everyone. I'm not gay. Yes, you are. So am I. <laughs>